0: And if you want to turn your Bibles to John, chapter number six, we're going to be in the Gospel of John. And I'll to say, um, for me as a, as, as, as pastor at North Valley, my favorite, my favorite service is Sunday night. Hands down, Sunday night is my favorite service, and it's an opportunity for, uh, well, just to be the church family, you know, and I know it's a little bit more, maybe a little bit more formal, and. And, uh, you know, it's a little bit different dynamic on Sunday morning, but I love, I love Sunday nights and, and uh, looking forward to being in the Word with you. John, chat number six, and we're going to begin reading in verse number one. Now, before we do, uh, we're going to be dealing with, with a, a disciple in particular. Let me ask you, just out of curiosity, how many of you have ever heard a sermon on Philip and Philip alone? If you want to just raise your hand. Yeah, maybe two hands, three hands. Let me see one more time, just one more time. Okay. Thank you, Lord. So that's what we're going to talk about. We're going to talk about Philip. So I'm looking forward to getting into it. And one thing about the disciples, you know, sometimes it's easy to overlook these individuals and to think that, you know, we can maybe give priority to the the ones that are more noticed. But Philip is one of those disciples that's really singled out here. We're going to give... Uh, more attention uh, to him tonight and I hope that I hope that'd be a help you know and when you you think about the disciples you think about maybe the inner circle Peter James and John and and those are maybe on like the 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 top tier and then you have the other disciples that are sometimes unknown and it's almost like you know if, if we're not careful you know almost I think I'm reminded of maybe the account where where James and John said, "Who's gonna, you know, who's gonna be the greatest? You know, who's gonna sit on your right hand, who's gonna sit on your left hand?" And and all of them actually had the issue of, and the struggle of saying, "Why would you ask such a thing?" Because they had that same desire as well. Uh, my my wife is getting ready; she's training for a full marathon, and and I'm trying to train for my half marathon, my first one. I will tell you what, I know I I, I like I, I like to stay in shape just because I like to eat. And so it balances it out. Try to, you know, try to run my first marathon. It's one of those, or half marathon. It's one of those checklists. But my wife, she's been running all the time. And I tell you, I don't like running a lot. I'm not a, a brother Paul who likes to really get after it. And and he's telling me, you know, when you get the the goals, you know, you just got to go for it. I just don't like running. That's just not me. But my wife, she loves to do that. And she gets a that's her outlet. And I was on the on the on the treadmill, just trying to get my miles in. And my wife already ran—I don't know how many miles, a lot more than I did. I know that. And she got back, and she's all, "Honey, honey, you're doing great." And it's just like a you know a rat on a on a wheel, you know, and I just running. I'm like, man, just because I had to you know get it done, and I was going about 6.0 six mile an hour on there, and just getting after it. She's like, "Oh, you got you're making, you know, good time." I was like, "Yeah, yeah, this is nothing. I'm just trying to get get under her skin, you know." I said, "This is nothing." What'd you do? Oh, well, and I said, she, more than that. She wouldn't tell me what her pace was. And I said, this is, this is a piece of cake. I mean, I could just, out of the water. I'm just getting under her skin. And she's like, oh, yeah? And she just, <laughs> she cranked it up to about 10 miles an hour. I'm like, oh, and I couldn't, I was going so fast that I couldn't reach it. I thought, man, this is gonna be another Funniest Home Videos right here, you know? And I'm just there and, and uh, off the treadmill. But sometimes we can take a look at our Christian life that way and say, hey, I, I can run this. I can be no problem. And compare ourselves to somebody else who has been doing this for a lot longer. When all of us are growing at different stages and also God knows what, you know, how to handle us and how to deal with us individually. And we take a look at the disciples, though some might not be made known as much as the others. The reality is that God was still doing the work. And, and it tells me that God is still interested in individuals. And he wants to grow us and he wants to develop us. And you might be sitting here thinking, well, I mean, I'm not, I'm not much to look at. I mean, I'm just, you know, here in church. And when it comes down to the discipled life, it's not, it's not microwave, it's not a drive-thru where you just say, hey, give me what I need. And I'm all. it takes time and it takes work. But it also takes the effort to be able to say, God, do a work in my heart. And, and he will, if we'll allow him. And so we're going to take a look at an individual here. I hope that it'll be a, a help to you. Chapter 6, verse number 1. John chapter 6, after these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias, and a great multitude followed him because they they saw his miracles, which he did on them that were diseased. And Jesus went up into a mountain, and there he sat with his disciples, and the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was nigh. And when, and when Jesus then lifted up his eyes, he saw a great company come unto him, and he saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? And, and this he said to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. And Philip answered him, Two hundred pennyworth of bread is not sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. And one of his disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, saith unto him, There is, there is here a lad here which hath five barley loaves and two fishes, and two small fishes. But what are they among so many? Do you see how Andrew is almost coming to the same consensus? He says, I mean, mean, we can't, this isn't going to take, this isn't going to deal a lot with these people, this this amount that we have here. Verse number 10. And Jesus said, make the men sit down. And now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves... "...when he had given thanks, and he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. And therefore they gathered them together, and filled twelve baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which remained over and above unto them that had eaten." Then those men, when they had seen the miracle that Jesus did, said, This is of a truth, that a prophet should come into the world. Well, let's, ask our, let's ask the Lord's blessing upon our time together, and we'll get right into the account here. Father, we love you. Thank you for the time to be here in your word. And, and I pray that uh, whatever things that might be uh, on our mind of maybe this upcoming week, or, or the things that have taken place even today or even this past week, I pray that we would lay those things aside and say, Lord, do a work in our heart, and this is the time to, that we want you to speak to us, and Lord, it's been a, it's been a good day being here around your people uh, in this place, and I uh, ask for your special blessing upon Fellowship Baptist, upon uh, just uh, Pastor Prater and, and Brother Tyler and the staff here, that you do a great work and continue to use the the people that make up this body, that they would have a a great testimony, great influence in the community which they're at, that you can be glorified and honored. And we're thankful that you are still holy and that you are always holy and that you desire to use us. So I pray that you would uh, bless the time around your word and bless your people and and help us to give attention to what you want to do in our lives. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. I was... uh, Reading a, a biography about William Tyndale, who pioneered the translation of the Scriptures into English, and uh, one thing that really stood out to me as I was going through this uh, going through this biography is that he thought it wrong for the common people uh, to 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 not or to only hear the uh, Word of God in Latin and not being able to have a copy of the Scriptures in their own. In their, in, their, in their hand and the state church leaders of course like maybe those that would be like the Pharisees who would want to have control over uh, over the common people feared that they would lose ecclesiastical power and in, a, in opposition even with the opposition there uh, William Tyndale translated New Testament in English and his efforts were rewarded with exile, uh, poverty, persecution and finally in 1536 he was He was uh, burned at the stake. And one of the things that motivated, what I found interesting, that motivated him to do the things that he did was that he had an understanding that the survey that he could gather from the church leaders that he would be exposed to and those that desired to be called into ministry and to involve themselves in in the lives of people is that they did not even know all the 12 apostles by name. And that they could only gather maybe just a few here and there and I just think that is if you take a look at, maybe even, the, even if we're to take a look at churches even today and say, okay, give me the 12 disciples by name, I think we would say, okay, I can name probably this individual and this individual and still fall short. And a lot of times these individuals that are not well known or maybe not uh, highlighted throughout scripture are overlooked. But you have to realize that these are the same men, these common men are the same men that turn the world upside down. These are the same individuals that really, when you think about when Jesus started his church with his disciples and he said, okay, I'm going to have you to carry out the gospel into all the world. If you were to think about the, the, the kind of life that they had and kind of background that they had, you're saying, God, you don't have a plan B regarding this? No, there was no plan B. God knew what he was doing But he also understood at the same time that he was taking these individuals and developing something of character in each individual with the talents that they had and the abilities that they had to do great things. And God is still at work today doing the same thing. I think about your theme here, All In. God wants to use every individual, and he wants to plug in each and every individual. And you take a look at somebody like Philip, it's easy to overlook him but Jesus, what he was so good at is being able to take a look at, at individuals all throughout his earthly ministry and single out individuals, help them. If it's a, if it's a leper, like I said this morning, if it doesn't matter uh, where you might be. But even with his 12 disciples, he was able to really groom them and develop them to be the men that they were supposed to be. And when you think about discipleship and, and, the, and the work of disciple and growing people, we understand it takes work. Someone has said this, if you're planting for a year, you need to plant grain. If you're planting for a decade, you need to plant trees. But if you're planting for a century, you plant people. And it does take work, and it does take effort. One of the things regarding church planting, maybe just to share this a little bit, it it, it is work, it's one person at a time. And that's really what it is. It's being able to invest your life in the lives of people and to grow them and develop them. And then being able to let them reproduce uh, uh, other disciples. And it does take work and it does take effort. And God, Jesus Christ, was the best. He was great at doing that. But it did take work. And we understand that these men, it's easy to elevate them to a high level level of spirituality and to be able to say, oh, they're probably like uh, uh, as many would look at them with shining halos over their head at a high exalted state, but they were just common men, ordinary men that God used to really transform the world to do great things. As we get into our account here, we see that Jesus, of course, being involved in his ministry, it's at a very, very busy time in in, uh, in Jesus's earthly ministry. If uh, you were to take a look at verse number verse number one after these things Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee which is the Sea of Tiberias he has already been busy with him personally. I'm talking about Jesus with his ministry of being involved in the lives of people. I'm talking about the miracles which he performed. He would go out of his way to give attention to people. And it did take a toll. And it did take a toll on the, on the disciples. The disciples were busy in their own preaching endeavors that God gave them responsibilities for. And then, and then if you were to take a look at not just the physical exertion of all the activity that the disciples were involved in, but there was also emotional uh, uh, emotional weight that was there as well. You take a look at John the Baptist was beheaded, they had to take care of that situation. There was the weight of, uh, of, 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 of that loss upon him and Jesus saw that these disciples needed to break away. They needed to break away for a little bit of rest and and they would go to the uh, sail to the other side of the Sea of Tiberias or the Sea of Galilee onto the eastern side more of a, a secluded area but at this time there was also the fame of, that being spread abroad about the name of Jesus and about the work of Jesus and all the information. It's also during the time of the Passover where the, the area would swell with, the, uh, with traveling Jews coming to celebrate the Passover and give attention to that. And as they would hear word about his ministry and about his work, they would desire to see him and to benefit from that. And, and so the word was getting around, and so he was desiring to break away. But as he was breaking away... He was sailing on the eastern side, and now they are confronted with all the disciples. You have to put yourself in the in the shoes of the of the disciples. Here they are. They're wore out. They're weary. They're tired. They've been giving themselves over to all kinds of activity, and as they are sailing over to the other side, they notice that there is a sea of people. Now, someone took the time to figure out how many. Men there were, 5,000 men, not counting, in the other accounts, women and children that were there. And so here's a great host of people that probably uh, said, hey, we noticed that he was sailing in this direction, or I I don't know all the details, but we know that they desired to see him. And there they are trying to get to a secluded area, but they are met with a host of people. Now, I don't know if you... you know, maybe read your Bible this way, but I picture my mind as, as the, the, the ship is sailing over there. Here, is, here are 13 men that are in the boat, and as they are on the boat, they notice that there's a host of people there. And as if you were one of the individuals that would be part of the multitude, you would see this boat that would be coming, and it would just gather into one area. The closer you can get when it meets the, meets the, the beach there, you want to be the first to make contact. I mean, I remember our church gave us the opportunity to, for, for, our, uh, for our church anniversary, gave us tickets to Disneyland. My kids had no idea about it. It was going to be a big surprise, and, and uh, we were all excited, and so we made our, uh, made our arrangements. We got up the hotel, and we just said, hey, you guys want to go walk downtown Disney? And, and we did one of these things where he said, you know, oh, uh, well, what about Disneyland? I said, oh, you know, we'll just, we'll see, we'll see. And Shirley's like, you're... you're you're ruthless. I said, let's just, just build it up, build up the excitement, you know. And so we go downtown, downtown Disney, and we're going down, and, and we're checking out all the stores. And you can just see they're excited. The adrenaline's kicking, and and you get to the uh, to the outer court there, where you have one uh, 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 amusement park over here, and then you have Disneyland over here, and there they are, and they see the, uh, you know, hearing the people scream on the rides, and they're all excited. People coming in and out, and here the kids are going like. Well, downtown Disney was all great, but why didn't you you bring us to this? And Thanks, Dad. It's like pouring salt in the wound, get us all excited and saying, we'll see, we'll see, and then you get us to this, and and that's when we pull out the ticket and said, hey, tomorrow, kids, we're going to Disneyland. And here they are just, I mean, revival just broke out. They're excited. They're excited about what's going on, and they're excited about the opportunity to be there. And so the next morning we got there, and as we got there, here they are, uh, all lined up. And, and you know how the, the gates are. They're all lined up. In the, and there's already a good number of people that were there. And we're towards the back. And, and we're trying to figure out what gates are going to open up. And though they have so many gates, there's only so many gates that actually open up. They don't open up all the gates. And here, uh, as the uh, workers started to come out, they started to open up. Here's a gate, and here's a gate, and here's a gate. And you just see the people just start funneling into where the gates opened up. And I'm telling you, I'm telling you even older folks with canes. There's I don't care if you have strollers and kids get out of my way here I'm I'm in line and there's just this you know this this movement and I, I tell you what I started getting you know like this this adrenaline kick for myself saying hey you know babe get up here let's just let's get this Baptist mentality out of here and just say hey love one another let's get in line let's go we got time we got to get going. And uh, so anyways, we got in line, and, I, and I, there was this excitement, there was this, this adrenaline that was going on, and, and as Jesus started to, to make their way with his disciples, you have to see that the adrenaline of the people saying, here he is, he's finally coming, is that him? Yes, that's him. And it caused a commotion, it caused excitement to the, uh, to the multitude that would be there, and here they are meeting up with him that, were, that, 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 that would be there. And it's interesting, as, as the, the scene takes place, Here's the disciples thinking, and they probably thought this when they saw the people far off on the off on the off on the horizon. Thinking, are you serious? We have to deal with more people. You can see this because in the other accounts, as they get to shore, they have this reasoning: uh, you need to send these individuals away because you know what we. They're going to faint in the way and they, and, and, and they don't have any bread and they don't have any sustenance. And they're just, it's not going to be, we just want to make sure that they're coming across real spiritual. But the reality is because of all the things that they face and the overwhelming of being physically tired and emotionally drained, they're saying, I don't want to deal with this. I don't want to deal with more people. I'm wore out. We, were, uh, we had the understanding that we were going to break away when we, when we left uh, when we left from this area over here, we're thinking, finally, we're going to get over here and R&R, and this is going to be great. But now we're confronted with more people. That just tells me it's going uh, to be more busyness, more activity, more lack of sleep. I'm not looking forward to this. So would you do this, master? Just send them away because, and he gives reasons. And it's interesting what Jesus, does, what Jesus does. When he saw them, he recognized the need. Now, in, other, in the other accounts, he also talks about his compassion towards the multitude. But notice in verse number 5. And when Jesus then lifted up his eyes and saw, uh, and saw a great company come unto him, he saith unto Philip, When shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, you have to understand some things about, some things about Philip here. Philip is the type of guy... That is a, a, a classic process type of person. He's a facts and figures type of guy. He's by the book, practical minded, a non-forward type uh, thinking person. Uh, he's, a, he's a type of guy that's going to be more of a pessimist, a corporate killjoy. That's the type of that's the type of guy that he is. We have to understand these guys are uh, all uh, geared a little bit differently, and the way that they're structured, they're structured a little bit differently. You take a look at Peter, and his 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 his, his mouth is running uh, all over the place, but his brain's in neutral. You know what I mean? That's just the that's just the makeup of of Peter. You take a look at James and John; they're the sons of thunder. They're motivated with zeal, and they have passion. And, and and all these individuals are made up a little bit differently but Philip he's the kind of guy who would identify with reasons why things can't be done instead of finding reasons of how things can be done that's just the way that that's just his makeup and that's how he is given himself over to and when you see him here is a situation that that Philip is confronted with, as well as the other disciples, and here's a need, and here's a situation, and Jesus knows the question that they ask, send them away because they don't have bread, they're going to faint in the way. And he also sees the situation of a host of people, that 5,000 plus uh, individuals that are out there, and he understands there is a need, and something needs to be done. So he turns over to the, out of all the 12, he turns over to the individual that's probably the, the most pessimistic, And says, hey, Philip, let me ask you a question. He identifies and singles out Philip. Philip, uh, how are we going to uh, take care of this? Now, there's a reason why he singled him out. And actually, the passage tells us the very reason why he singles him out. Notice in verse number 6. And this he said, notice this, to prove him, for he himself knew what he would do. It's not like when he's asking the question, he's really trying to get information or counsel of how to take care of this situation. But what he is doing, he's trying to show Philip the issue at hand and also try to show something about Philip, how God can make something out of him. By the way, that's classic with Jesus Christ and what he does with his disciples. He takes a situation and he takes the the spiritual truth and he takes the the work of God. And he says, let me tell you how you can get through this situation. That's classic of what God does. So here's here's an opportunity, here's a platform. But he did this to prove him. Now it's interesting, this word prove, it simply means this, to test or examine. To make something uh, larger that was not originally seen. Now, I'm out here doing revival next week. I had the opportunity this past few days to go hunting. Now, out here, what you do is you sit in a tree stand, and you wait for something to come by, and you just, psh, there you go. And I obviously have a hard time doing that. But in Arizona, it's a little bit different. You actually, I, I say you have to actually work for your deer. That might be an insult for those that are giving themselves over to a tree stand and the but you have to stand back and you're, you're getting out what I call my big eyes. I get out my big binoculars and, and I get out my big eyes and I'm looking out. I'm talking about a mile, a mile and a half to try to find some deer that are out there. I can take up the dinky binoculars and I can put up and say, okay, there's a deer out there. And uh, yeah, but I'm not going to make my way out there unless it's a good sized deer. I'm not going to waste my time on a dink. I'm not going to waste my time on a little two-by-two or whatever. I want to make sure it's a big guy. So what I'll do is I'll get out my big guys, and I'll pull out my big guys or even my spotting scope, and I'll say, wow, look at that guy. That, That guy is worth going after. Now, originally, I couldn't see those things. But now that I've been able to get behind the lens and being able to look out there, I've been able to say, okay, that's something to give attention to because I didn't originally see that. And what God is doing, he is proving Philip. All Philip sees right now is a host of people that are out there and he sees the impossibility in the situation. He says, there is no way, there's not enough Chick-fil-A's out here, there's not enough Filet-O-Fish sandwiches out here to feed all these individuals. I don't see how this is going to be done. This is an impossibility. This cannot be done. Why would you say he, it can't be done? Notice the way that he responds. Oh, verse number seven, Philip answered him. Well, two, he had to actually work this out. Two hundred penny worth of bread is not for, sufficient for them, that every one of them may take a little. Now, now, now think about this. He worked this out. He's a, he got out the mental calculator... And started to calculate all these and things, he started counting the groups here, he started counting the people, and he started thinking, a minute, even if you were to take, and basically he comes up with 200 penny worth, it wouldn't even come close to feeding all the people out there, and not just feeding all the people out there, we're talking about a penny's, uh, you, have, you have a man that would work for a penny a day, we're talking about a man's salary for about 8 months. And if if you were to take a man's hour for about eight months, the common laborer, and to liquidate that, and to make that into bread and fish and just feed all the people, it wouldn't even come close to even giving a sampling to feed all the people that are out there. So he actually had to calculate all this. He's probably the one that counted that there was 5,000 people out there. He says, there's no way that this is going to work out. This can't be done. This is an impossibility. This situation will not work. And so he says, well... That's how how you're going to respond. And just at that time, here comes Andrew. And Andrew says, well, uh, here's a lad here, five barley loaves and two fishes. But notice what he says, but what are they among so many? And here is even Andrew that is chiming in, throwing his five cents and saying, well, listen, I agree with Phil. There's not really much that can be done here. There's not that. So you might as well do this. You might as well just send them away because we're not going to be able to take care of this. Well, Jesus says, that's your answer. Now don't forget, he's proving them. He knows where they're at, and what he's going to do now, he's going to have them get behind the lens and to look through their own character and see something, what they originally saw as an impossibility. He's going to have them get behind the lens, and he's going to say, let me show you what I can do, and let me show you of what I can do with you. So he says, this is what I want you to do. I want you to divide up all the people into 50s and 100s. <sighs> okay, you're not appreciating this as much as I am. <laughs> that means more work. Have you ever tried to just get people to do stuff in general, like just to line up? <laughs> I mean, we have Fifth Sunday fellowships and that kind of stuff. And, and it's like, hey, okay, hey, fellow, hey we're done fellowship. Let's go back into the auditorium and let's have service. I mean, we're just trying to get you know 80 people or 470 people or whoever, just in out of the fellowship area and out of outside. Just, hey, it's church time. Let's go. We start. You can do. You can run the clock. We're going to start in two minutes and 30 seconds or whatever. And it doesn't matter. Like, oh yeah, we'll be. And here they are having the responsibility. A lot of people, 12 disciples dividing up fifties and hundreds. And here they are involved in more work, more energy, more time. And right when Jesus said divide them up, they're thinking. Yes, sir. Get over here. you know, And he's counting them up and dividing them up. And there they are. And notice what Jesus does. He takes the, the loaves there. And notice what he does. In verse number 11, Jesus took the loaves. And when he had given thanks, he distributed to the disciples, and the disciples to them that were set down, and likewise of the fishes, as much as they would. Now, this, I don't see it like this. I don't see where he had this lunch that was delivered to him from Andrew and after they already get done dividing up all the people they come back already being worn out by the activities that they were involved with they come back he blesses their food and right when they lift up their eyes and lo and behold behind them is golden corral. You know I don't, I don't, see, it, I don't see it that way but what he does in being able to bless the food and being able to take the, 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 the substance that was there. Here are these, at least we know, of 12 baskets that are represented here. And he fills them up. And it's like a continual process of what cont- uh, continually is done, continually takes place. And here you see the, the creator at work. I'm talking about grain that was never planted. Fish that never swam. And it's being reproduced in such, in such masses. And I can see maybe Philip taking this basket and going over and says, Hey, just take a little. There's a lot of people out here. Just take a little. Just take a little. I said a little, you glutton. Just take a little. You know? And he comes back and Jesus says, No, 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 no. You empty out your basket. You make sure everything is gone because guess what? I want you to make sure that every individual is filled. So this process that they're going through and this, and this activity that they're involved with, here they are uh, delivering this, this, the, the food over and over and over again. This process, no doubt, had to take work and had to take energy, but they got a little bit more of a, 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 a pep uh, behind their step here, because now they're seeing this the Creator at work, and here all this food is delivered, and here they come to a place where every individual is filled. They're satisfied. And I'm talking about like like here's Peter. He's probably chiming in and saying all the things like he normally would say. Yeah, I, I knew God would, I knew God could do that. Yep, yep, that's right. And here is James and John full of zeal and full of activity and, and energy That be behind them. And maybe here is Nathaniel, where even Nathaniel, at one point when Jesus said, Hey, you're impressed that I saw you underneath a fig tree. I will show you greater things than these. And maybe he's reminded of this and thinking, I cannot believe what my eyes just saw. And then now here comes Philip. Pessimistic, negative, can't be done, Philip. And he's thinking, wow, this is amazing. He's full, he's satisfied, but it doesn't stop there. Jesus tells them to do something. Notice this in verse number 12. And when they were filled, he said unto his disciples, Gather up the fragments that remain, that nothing be lost. Now this is quite interesting here. There's a reason why he told them to do that. Here are all the disciples. They're all excited about what's going on. They're all excited about the activity. They're all excited about the, uh, this miracle that was performed. Can you imagine the people that were there and what they what they were able to witness and what they personally got to identify with and being able to and, and, and take in? This is amazing. And now here Jesus says to his disciples, I want you to do this. I want you to take those same baskets, go around, and make sure that you pick up all the fragments, no doggy bags allowed. So here they are, they're taking up all the fragments, and here they come back, and as they come back, they, are, they, are, they, they, they come back recognizing, wait a minute, I, let, I came up with this situation in the very beginning with an empty basket. I didn't have anything to offer. All we had was a a, a little lunch here, and we had empty baskets. And now when everything is done, we saw a situation over here. And now we come to the place where each one of us have a basket. Yes, you can go down the list of all the 12 disciples, but primarily you take a look at Philip, and here is Philip with with a basket full of fragments. And the reality is this, God was trying to prove him, and God was trying to show him, you saw something of an impossibility, and you saw something that cannot be done, and you saw the negative in the situation, and you said, no, 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 uh, uh, no, there's not a solution. Even if you were to produce a solution, it would take at least this and this and this, and there's no way you can add it up, and it's not going to work, and that was the, that's how he saw it. But God saw something else, and by the time they brought up the, 12, uh, the, the basket full of fragments, Philip now gets behind the lens and says, Well, this is what you're doing in my life. And you know what God wants to do in your life? He wants to fill your basket. You say, wait, 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 fill my basket. I can take a look at my life throughout the course of my life and being able to see different situations... Of God, how God has filled my basket. I mean, I, I, if I'm getting ready for Bible college and being able to, I owned one, going to Bible college, one, owned one olive suit. I loved that olive suit. I loved it so much that I had to wear it with the gray pants and a red tie. Just found out Brother K was colorblind. So it made me even feel even worse now. He tried to look up and down. He said, Man, you are scrawny, pathetic. What are you, you know? I didn't know how to tie a tie. I couldn't just go to YouTube and say, How do you tie a tie? I couldn't do that. Actually, you know who? T- Brother Tyler actually taught me how to tie a th- tie. Make sure he got the right dimple. He said, Listen, if you're going to preach, you need to preach with a dimple And there. Whatever, man, just tie it in a knot, you know? There you go. How's that, you know? He taught me how to tie a tie. And- and I remember going to Bible college and thinking, you know, Lord, I, I have this expectation and and you know, you go to Bible college, you're supposed to know all the Bible. I thought you had to know like the first 5 books and have it memorized and all this and I didn't know. I'm joking about that. But I mean, I didn't know I, there was a certain expectation that I had 't and I'm thinking, man, here are these guys, and I don't know where I fit in on this, and just trying to just trying to make things happen. And God provided, and God supplied the needs, and taking care of this. And remember, getting then and then married to uh, to my wife, and and getting getting ready for just not just married life, but then able to take care of two school bills, and trying to figure out the needs that were there, and God provided uh, jobs uh, for me to to take care of. It. And I remember in Bible college being able to get a job at Dillard's. I wish selling men's suits or something, but I was selling ladies' shoes. <laughs> selling ladies' shoes. Now, I'll tell you what, uh, in all honesty, it was a blessing because the commission was out of this world. It was good. And I didn't realize how hard it was to get into the areas of selling ladies' shoes. But I don't, selling ladies' shoes, are you kidding me? I, I wasn't expecting all of this. But at the same time, I'm seeing a situation and I'm stepping into this and thinking, okay, I. Married and I'm in school and already going through this process here. And listen, uh, being able to change out tires, working at a tire shop really isn't cutting it. It might take care of this bill and this bill to take care of this, but it's not going to take care of all the school bills. And God provided this job at Dillard's. And then we found out to top it all off, we found out that we were expecting Kayla. And I'm going, oh boy, here, how are we going to take care of all these needs and these demands? And here is this job at Dillard's. And remember getting getting the orientation, walking through there, and hear all these individuals open up their books of all their clients. Think I don't have clients. And they would t- show me to the back board right here on the very back behind the registers. I'll, you know, go in the back and there's the board there. And it shows you the top salesman. It tells you how many shoes you would sell. And, and then shows you how many returns. You don't want returns because it goes against you. And, and here are all these individuals all named out, all lined up from the top seller to the, to the very bottom. And the figures that were all there. And you wanted to have high figures because if you were able to sell over your, your base rate, you would get the commission on top of that. And I'm looking at that thing. And oh, boy. How long have you been here? I've been here 15 years. I'm like, that's nice. <laughs> so a lady comes in, she says, Yeah, I'll just take Glenn, or I'll just take so-and-so, I'll just take Glenn so i like, okay. So I was I was intimidated by it. And I remember sitting in that, many of you might remember that blue ranger that I had. Old trusty ranger. And I remember sitting there in the parking lot saying, God, and I wish, I wish I could be I wish I could say I was praying out of faith and saying, God, I believe you could do this. But it was more like desperation saying, God, I see the impossibility in this, and I just don't see how you're going to do it. That's how I, honestly how I prayed. I'm just like, God, this is just not going to work. So I pray there, clock in, go into the back, and I made it a custom every single time. Before I would sell one shoe, I'd go to the very back corner, and I'd get on my knees, and I'd pray, say, God, I need every sale. Or at least I need enough sales to make sure that these needs can be met. So I do that. And I get out there and I sell shoes and, you know, just do, the, do what I, would you know, if someone asked for a shoe. I bring a shoe out, they buy it and go through. And there would be times I go to the back and my name would be on the top three. And I'm thinking, so people come out and say, hey, uh, can, can I see your client book? Do you have a, I'm like, I don't have a client book. Okay, uh, so uh, what strategy, um, and these are people that have been working there for years and going through us, and they say, what strategy do you have to, to make this? And, and when you do this, do you bring out other shoes to make sure that you know, they like this? Do you bring out, if they want a John Planner, do you bring out a Stuart Weitzman as well? Do you do this? Do you do this? And, and I'm like, no, I, they, they say I want this shoe, I bring out a shoe and I, I sell it. That's <laughs> what I do. So they want that shoe, I just sell the shoe and then we're, we're done. Say, well, that doesn't work that way. I'm like, I, I'm just telling you what I do. Someone comes in and says, hey, I want this boot, and it's a Kohan boot, and it sells for 4 dollars And I said, okay, well, i got to make $120 at least an hour, sell a boot. That's really good. I come back and says, oh, I also want this color and this color and this color. Yeah. Not a problem, you know. <laughs> and people are looking back and hear individuals going, hey, wait, wait, wait. Listen, you, you, it doesn't... We've been here a long time, and we've been able to work stuff out. We've, we've, we've gone through all the different classes that making sure that you do this method and this method. And this, but all you're doing is bringing out shoes. And I'm just sitting back and saying, God's filling my basket. I don't know how these things are going to take care of. And I can take a look at my junior and my senior year. And God provided not only my school bill and not only my wife's school bill, but also God provided the things that I needed just to survive. And then church planning comes along. You would think that I would pray in faith and being able to say, church planning, here we go. And being able to spearhead and low up the U-Haul and say, here we go. We're just going to take this by faith and we're just going to trust God that God's going to bring. And we're going to be running next year 120. And by the time three, uh, uh, three year, the three-year mark rolls around, we're going to be hitting. Now, I, I, no, I'm not saying, maybe I'm being a little sarcastic, but I had great ideas until day number one came around. We had fellowship family here. And boy, the first Sunday... Is always, can I say bomb? <laughs> Great, wonderful. And then, second Sunday. And you're looking around and saying, who's going to greet? And I remember Mike, Brother Mike, coming in. And he was one of the guys that said, listen, you're going to be the greeter. You're going to be this. You're going to take up the offering. You're going to take this. Do you know how to song lead? Do you know how to do this and this and this and this? Go down the list. And I remember we just had a, what, handful of maybe eight or nine you're saying, how do you work this stuff out? What's what is it like to go in for your first midweek service and thinking? See, we had X amount of people on the first Sunday on a Wednesday. We're going to have midweek and we're going to do this right. We set it all up. We do. We make it big, and two people show up. Remember that? You were one of them. <laughs> Anybody need to be saved? No. Okay. Every head bowed. Every eye closed. I'm talking about awkward. And here you are, just trying to work things out, and you're thinking, I don't know how this is going to take. Me. And then you find out, oh, by the way, the school bill or the uh, the school payment of you renting the facility is going to be 1,900. Uh, and by the time uh, month three rolls around, they 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 jump it up to 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 near 3,000. I'm thinking, how are we going to do this? How are we going to pay all these bills? How are we going to take care of all the, all the needs? And so we start looking for different areas and, and different things. And, and here I am saying, God, I don't, I don't want to see this thing fail. And I don't want to see this crumble. I want to make sure that I'm faithful. And I want to make sure that we plow through this and grind it out and work hard. And being able to do all this, there's so many people praying. And, and so there's all these expectations that are there. And here am I on the backside saying, how are we going to do this? And we started to grow and we started to, to gain some people. And we looked at this fire station. And all I thought in the beginning was saying, maybe we can renovate it just to make it worthy for us to be able to have our own place to pay for something cheaper. And the lady comes back and says, well, why don't you do this? The owner says, why don't you just buy the thing from us? And here I am thinking, okay, buy, buy it from you. Here we are, I don't know, four or five months old. I say, well, I don't know how we can you know, accomplish something like that. And, and, uh, and I remember, I wish I could say, I came to the pulpit with faith and saying, okay, folks, she's asking for 30000 down payment for us to look at this and maybe we can, you know, just pray about how God's going to lead. And, and here I am saying, just a shot in the dark. And by the time we end the service and we get out, here's a lady that comes up, says, you need $30,000? Not a problem. And you know what God was showing me? He says, get behind the lens, son, because there's something that I want to do with you. And they I know where you're at, and I know the spirit that you might have, and I know some of the things that might be running through your mind and being able to say, on a, on, a, on a physical level, on a tangible level, seeing how it's not going to work out. And you're looking at all of this, and God is saying, get behind the lens. I want to do something that you cannot see yet, and I want to fill your basket. We get the fire station, we find out that it's not even up to fire code. That's a blessing. I wish they told me that first. So there goes another 45,000. And here we are. Guess what? God provided. And we go down the list and you say, "Okay, well, that's your story. That's my story." God has a story for you. Amen. Well, well, I'm not I, I, I'm not I'm not this or that. Like, you have to be this or that? What, 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 what classification do you have when God says, I don't show partiality, and I'm not a respecter of persons, and it doesn't matter if you're a teenager, and you're thinking, okay, uh, God, I want to live for you, and I want to do what's right, and here I am exposed to all these things, and here is God saying, hey, I don't, it doesn't matter how young you are or how old you are. Get behind the lens. Let me show you what I can do. And God takes uh, and does miraculous things, and he fills your basket, and you're thinking, how was this accomplished? And can no one be attributed to God? God takes a situation that you're confronted with and you're saying, I don't know how this is going to be accomplished. I don't know how God's going to take care of this. I see all the pessimistic side of of all the negatives and and why things can't can't be done. And it doesn't matter who you are or what you've been exposed to or what your last name is. It does not matter who you are. God says, you're my child. And I recognize if you're like a Philip, you might be lost in the mix and you might be lost in the shadows. But I'll tell you what, I have not forgotten you. Get behind the lens. Let me show you what I can do and I can fill your basket. God wants to do that in your life. God wants to produce great things, the creator God, who took nothing and made everything and made the sustenance for the people to be filled, and, and being able to say, I can use you. And if you're all in, I'm telling you, I can do some great things that you can have a testimony to so-and-so, and you can have an influence on so-and-so, and God can make it clear to you that I can fill your basket, satisfy your need, and being able to take care of things that you saw you could only think that of, of utter impossibility. Just Just get behind the lens. Let me do a work in you. But Philip had to come to the place. Even with all of his issues and with all the drama and all the different things of of his pessimistic spirit, he still, God was so patient and God was so kind and God was so long-suffering to take Philip and said, even where you are, I can do great things. And God wants to do the same with you. God did the same with Joseph. He's thrown in a pit. He has this dream. He's thinking, God, I mean, I even, I believe this is from you. And how are you going to, I I thought this was going to happen. And his life was like a yo-yo going up and down, up and down. And even times when he's thrown back in jail again, he's saying, would you remember me? Two long years go by. He's like, man, I think God's all forgotten about me. I just see an empty basket right now. And what he did not see was the unseen hand of God. And God was working behind the scenes. And God brought him out. Right place, right time, right situation, and God filled his basket. And we can take life after life after life, and we can take person after person. We can take a look, a look at a, a, a widow woman that put in two mites, and God says, I'll tell you what, she's supposed, she's supposed to be recognized. You can take a look at individuals all across Scripture, and God filled their life God wants to do the same with you. Sometimes we miss out on what true discipleship is all about because we stand back and we don't want to accept what God wants to do in our life because it does take work. And God God first has to use an empty basket before he fills it. He has to use a situation, he has to use something of an impossibility in your life for you to stand back and say, I cannot take credit for this, only God can do something like this. And God wants to do that in your life. And you're faced with who knows what. And you're faced with situation after situation. You're faced with circumstance. You're faced with an issue. Whatever it is, with the the, the amount of people that are in this room, the, the, the list could go on and on. But I believe the Holy Ghost is so good to say, here's what I'm doing in your life. Let me show you something that you faced last week. Let me show you something that you faced last year. And here you are. You're showing up with an empty basket. And God is saying, I can fill it. Let me fill it. God can do that with you. If we allow ourselves to say, Lord, what you can take that looked as an utter impossibility, you can fill. And if you're his and you're a child of God, discipleship, yes, it takes work. Yes, you have to forsake all and follow him. Yes, you have to deny yourself. Yes, you have to take up your cross. Yes, there's work. But with that comes reward. You might not see all of it now. But in the process of time, I believe this, God is so good to fill baskets. And maybe he wants to do that with your life.